Prayer is the most important weapon and the most misunderstood weapon we have to fight against our enemy. And so while we're talking about wartime prayer, there's a phrase I'm going to use this morning, and it's simply, listen up. How many have heard that before? If you've been in the military or you have been on a sports team, it's always, listen up. It's a verbal phrase that says, listen closely or pay strict attention because I have something important to say. So this morning, we are saying, listen up. Because we don't want to get into a position where we come on Sunday and we sit in the pew watching the ministers do their thing, exhorting us to do our thing, and we go home feeling as though we have performed our duty for the week. Because no matter who is on this platform, guest speaker, missionary, pastor, staff pastors, no matter who is presenting the word, as ministers of the gospel, we are accountable. We are accountable to the gospel. We are accountable to what we preach. We are accountable to God for how we, how we preach. But you as listeners have a responsibility to listen. Because we can preach heaven come down, but if you're not listening, there's never going to be a connection. So this morning as we walk through this message, I'm, I'm, you're going to hear me say this often, listen up. In other words, take those preconceived filters that you have, whether it's personalities or presentation or what you grew up with or what you were familiar with. I want you to say, God, open my ears today that I will be able to hear what you have to say because life is war. And I'm going to trust that you have the ability and the, the capacity to, as I'm saying these things, you understand, and I don't have time, but you understand the war, fighting for your family, fighting in the community, fighting the homeless and, and all of the abuse and all of the things. Life is war. And we've never really understood that the war we are fighting is greater than any war that has ever been fought on this planet. You go back to the American Revolutionary War, you can include that with the Civil War. We can talk about World War I, World War II, that was the big one. Vietnam, Serbia, Bosnia, Afghanistan, Iraq. Combine all of those wars together, and they're still not as great as the war of life. Because as difficult as it is to speak to this, being in the military myself, as many of you have been, we know as the phraseology has been, war is hell. And some of you have had family members and friends and you know people whose sons and daughters have went over and sacrificially given their life 
to serve our country. And many of them have come back missing body parts. And many of them have come back in body bags. And we, we can't comprehend that there could be anything more atrocious than the war casualties that come back home. But I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, that we are fighting an enemy that is far greater. In fact, you could take Hitler and Mussolini, and Stalin, Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, take all of the leaders that have desecrated and destructed, destruct all over the country and the world, and they still would be nothing compared to the enemy of our life. And the difference is that though we come back and we are missing body parts and we may come back in body bags, yes, we have lost our eternal, our, our, our earthly life, but we are fighting an enemy that is wanting to take our soul. He is after our soul. Not just my soul or your soul, but the souls of our family members. And you're sitting here today, and thank God you have come to a place where you've accepted Jesus, you've become a follower of Jesus, but at the same time, I'm sure you can make an exhaustive list of family members that have never come to that point of decision. And so that's why I say life is war. And that's why I believe there is an urgency, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a seriousness that we're talking about here that we're in for a fight. And the thing about life as war is there's no place for conscientious objectors. You can't get out of it. It's a part of our life. So if we really believe that life is war, then I think we need to find us a war room. I want to draw your attention to the screen, and I want you to watch this just for a moment. The value of having a war room. Hey, you know what? I thought your jump rope routine was really good. I just got a notification that you moved money from our savings into your checking account. Can we talk about this later? You must be the real estate agent. Well, it's so good to meet you. Let me show you the house. This is my favorite place in this house. I call it my war room. You wrote prayers for each area of your life. Prayer strategy. I sure could use some of that. Tony, you should go see your practice tomorrow. I'm out of town this weekend. When were you going to tell me? I just did. Tony, how's my favorite ref? I'm real good. How you doing? I wish I lived at your house. Whenever my parents are together, we just fight. Dude, I can't get a pass from you. It'd be easier to baptize a cat. I just need you to blow off a little steam, okay? There's one thing we do well. It's fight. You do not want World War III to break out in your home. No, no, I don't. Just because you argue a lot doesn't mean that you fight well. You got to plead with God so that he can do what only he can do. Then you got to get out of the way and let him do it. You need to do your fighting in 
prayer. Keep fighting the good seen anybody do what you did. It's time for you to take off the gloves and fight for your marriage. Keep fighting the Lord, we need an army of believers. Lord, call us to battle. Until we believe that life is war, we will not pray as we should. Until we believe that life is war, we cannot know what prayer is for. And if I had time this morning to go through the list, I mean, we, we have books, and we have conferences, and we have how-tos, but I come back with a question, how effective have those things been? Because somewhere in our life and somewhere in our heart, I really don't believe that we have caught the urgency that life is war and that we are in a battle. And I think maybe for some of us, for whatever reason, we've lost the fight. We've lost the urgency and we've lost the tenacity to be that, that person who, like we saw on the screen, who has this war room. And she goes in there and she fights a spiritual battle. Now, many of us may not understand what prayer is for because we've never had it modeled. Maybe you grew up in a home where your parents were not Christians. They, you've never heard your parents pray. Maybe you have a grandmother that you heard pray, or maybe you've known someone, but for most people, prayer has never been modeled. And if there's one thing that I'm thankful for this morning is this. I had a praying mother, and I had a praying grandmother, and my grandmother passed it to my mother. And, and the thing that I remember about my mother is she had a war room. Now, she lived in a mobile home, didn't have a lot of rooms like we saw on the screen. But when my stepfather would go to work, she would go to the side of her bed and kneel down. And to this day, I can take you there and show you the indentations in that carpet. Because once she knelt down, she never got up until she felt released for praying for her family. I remember that same 10-year-old boy sleeping on the Davenport, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, because I, the clock was in front of me, I woke up, and I heard somebody talking, and I, it woke me up, and I listened into the bedroom, and it was my mother at 2 o'clock in the morning, kneeling beside her bed, praying for my dad, who was not a believer at the time, praying for me that God would protect and God would use me and that I would grow to love Jesus and 2 o'clock in the morning. So my mother modeled for me the value of prayer. And I think it's important for us, as we understand that life is war, we also have to understand that it's important to know our weapon and to know our enemy. 
The Apostle Paul knew something about this because he said at the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. And I'm not here, I, I, I'm not here to be rude. I'm not here to condescend. But I'm wondering in our hearts today, how many of us has actually had a good fight with the enemy? Paul said, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've run the race, and therefore I am now offering my body. It's time for me to go. But he told the young protege, Timothy, he said, Timothy, fight the good fight. So Paul knew a little bit about fighting. And then he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, he says this, For though we live in the world... Now catch that. You have no choice. We can't run. We can't hide. We're in the world. For though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. For the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Though we live in the world, the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. In other words, the things that you and I fight against today cannot be overcome with weapons of mass destruction or missiles or rifles or grenades or landmines, or all of the things that our military uses in a worldly form does not work against this type of warfare because it is a spiritual warfare. And so we have to know our weapon. We have to know our enemy. And if we don't understand who our enemy is and we don't understand how to use our weapon, it would be no different than if you had a three-year-old child and you handed them a loaded handgun and say, here, go play with this. That's a weapon. But they don't know how to use it. They don't know what it's for. And the end result probably would be not so good. Then the Apostle Paul went on in Ephesians chapter 6, a very common chapter. In fact, I think we've read this in the Align with God series that we've been doing. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, Now, for we are not contending. In another translation, that word contending is wrestle. For we not wrestle. You see, it's not WWF and it's not UFC. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God. And Paul lists those armor parts, and he gets down to verse 18, and he says, pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. And time doesn't allow me this morning to give multiple examples of things that we pray about, but we have to understand prayer is not 911. Now, I understand there are times there are accidents and there are tragedies that we've got to call on God and do it fast. But, friends, I'm talking about our everyday living. 
Prayer is not something that we pick and choose. Prayer comes out of a relationship with God. It's something that, that enables us and empowers us to overcome life's difficulties. And the Apostle Paul knew this. And he wanted us to be aware that we're not fighting flesh and blood. See, sometimes we get into it with our spouses, with our children, with our family, with our coworkers. But I can tell you this, every fight you have ever had, no matter who it has been with, has a spiritual root. Whether it's envy or greed or strife or jealousy or anger or whatever, 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 every battle you have ever fought has a spiritual root to it. And if we don't identify that and understand that, all we are doing is warring in the flesh. So it's important <clears throat> that we know our enemy and we know our weapons. I saw some hands raised earlier of how many people who had served our country in the military. And we know that once we sign on the dotted line and we get to the induction center, we get to basic training. And it's pretty much the same, different, maybe different in, in the different areas, whether it's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, but we go through basic training. And I remember part of my basic training was getting to know my weapon. Now, at that time, that was in 1968, we were still shooting M14s. We didn't have the M16s, we didn't have the, the automatic weapons that they have today, but it was the M14 rifle. I knew and I had to learn that that M14 rifle was my companion, my bodyguard, my constant protection, and it was better than MasterCard. I never left the base without it. I never went anywhere without it. And they also helped us to understand the significance of learning how to take that weapon apart and clean it and put it back together in, in very fast time. So I learned the value of the weapon they gave me to fight against the enemy. And I knew that it was 9.2 pounds and loaded with full magazine, it was 10.7 pounds. And I knew I was smart enough to know that when it's raining, you don't carry it straight up, water goes down the barrel, you get rust. They taught me how to take care of the weapon that they gave me. Then we learned about hand grenades fragmentation grenades. And contrary to what you have watched in the movies, contrary to what Rambo has done, you don't throw grenades 100 yards. First of all, most of them have either a three-second fuse or a seven to eight-second fuse. If you threw it 100 yards, it would explode before it ever got to the target. And I remember having that hand grenade in my hand. I'm going, this is heavy. I mean, I've watched these guys on television, combat. I've watched this, and man, they can fling. What I learned about a grenade was this. Fragmentation grenades were lethal at about 16 feet. 
They could create serious injury at about 50 feet, and the shrapnel could disperse between 100 and 200 yards, 200 feet, depending on where it landed. But we learned how to use the hand grenade. We used the pin, and we understood the proper way to throw it, but it was a weapon that was given to me to use against the enemy. And then we were taught hand-to-hand combat. And this, I don't know, however you're used to pronouncing it, pugil sticks. Remember those? The oversized cotton swabs, Q-tips. Stick with a big padded area, you've got a helmet on, and you face off each other and you've got the stick and you're going at each other because it's teaching you how to use your weapon with the bayonet against the enemy and you just have at it. And then they taught us the pressure points within the body, the major pressure points that if pressure is applied correctly, it can create a lethal result or at least create immobility, that the person cannot move because you have affected those pressure points, and I'm not going to tell you where they're all at. If somebody wants to volunteer, Luke, if he wants to volunteer, we can come up and we'll, we'll do the pressure points. The point of what I'm saying to you is when I went into the military to prepare for this worldly war that I am fighting, they gave me the weapons that I needed to go against the enemy. God is no different. He has given us the awesome power of prayer. The awesome power of prayer. Some of you may be sitting here today and saying, but Pastor Don, I remember I had a need, I prayed, nothing happened, and so I just quit. Again, I don't have the time to go into, and many of these we don't have answers for. Why did God answer this prayer? He didn't answer that prayer. Why did this happen and that didn't happen? And we lose the concept of the effectiveness and the power of prayer, but God has given it to us as a weapon. And when we align with God, it's the most powerful weapon we will ever have access to. So listen up. Life is war. Know your enemy. Know your weapon. And understand the value and the power of prayer. See, the way I see it, prayer is an earthly license for heavenly interference. Don't you find it interesting that the disciples spent three years with Jesus, approximately three years with Jesus, and the only thing they asked him to show them, to teach them, was how to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to heal people, teach us how to cast out demons, teach us how to turn water into wine, teach us how to heal the sick and raise the dead and open the ears of the deaf and the eyes. The only thing that we find in Scripture, the disciples ask of Jesus, teach us how to pray. Part of that was because he modeled it for them. 
Part of that was because they watched that as Jesus prayed, and then he said, okay, boys, it's time to go into town and let's see what's happening. And as they walked through the cities and the, and the countryside, they were with him as these miracles and these answered prayers came about. And they knew that the only way that was going to happen was because he had spent time in prayer. So, prayer is an earthly license for heavenly interference. John Wesley put it this way, without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. Now, we're actually gonna get into this a lot more in our Wednesday night teaching on kingdom, keys, and the king, but here's the thing I want you to catch. It will be difficult for you to maybe assimilate this. Don't write me off so fast, but take it with you and think about it, and here it is. What happens on earth depends on us. Now, for some of you, that is a new revelation because you have been used to people saying that God is sovereign, God can do whatever He wants, He can do whatever He chooses, and He can but God has chosen from the very beginning of Genesis when he said, let us make man and give mankind dominion. See, you and I are sitting here today, inside of us, we have that ability and potential to help this whole kingdom of God thing come to pass, and we haven't even realized it. And we're saying, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. It, it would be interesting for you to understand and see through Scripture how God uses people. God uses people. He went to Moses and he said, Moses, I, I want to set my people free, but Moses, I, I need your permission because back in Genesis, I gave mankind dominion and God's saying, I have the power, but you have the authority, so Mo." Go over here in the water and get your shoes off because I, I need you to help me out here. And, and so as Moses starts across, the sea opens up and Israel is delivered. See, and, and I can't impress it enough that what happens on earth depends on us. What happens in Erie, Pennsylvania depends on the church. So let's take it outside of the walls of Erie First Assembly because we understand that the church of Jesus Christ goes much farther than denominations and church titles. But what happens in Erie depends on the followers of Jesus. What happens in Erie First Assembly depends. And that's why one of the reasons, anyway, why Pastor Nicole has encouraged us. We've spent Wednesday nights here in prayer time. And she's encouraged us that on Mondays or Wednesdays or Fridays in this month to connect somewhere in a prayer group. And we've kind of written, I said, well, you know, there's not feeling. There's no excuses, friends. Because what happens in our community and what happens in our church depends on us. 
we have responsibility. You see, the church is the only change agent that God has on this earth. And as the Holy Spirit works through us and through the church, we believe that God is, is willing and desires and wants to change hearts and lives, but that's why He has put us here, for a reason, for a purpose. Prayer is partnering with heaven. So let me wrap this up, and I know I have to say something about the value of prayer, so I'm going to share that with you, but I was so impressed in putting this message together, I kept trying to teach on prayer, and God kept saying, but if we don't understand it, if we don't see the value of it, if we don't understand the necessity of it, it's not going to take effect. And people aren't going to respond because they see no need. So hopefully when we understand that life is war, and we are in a battle, and we can't run, we can't hide, we can't get out of it. We need a weapon, and prayer is what God has given to us to overcome the battles of life. And there are many, many, many other things that prayer does, but I'm going to leave you with three this morning. Number one, prayer recognizes the sovereignty of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, hallowed be thy name. Prayer recognizes the sovereignty of God, and prayer reminds us that we can't do this on our own. We can't do this under our own strength and our own power. Secondly, prayer enables us to see our heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me. Search me, search me. And God in His love, and God in His grace and in His mercy shows us our heart and shows us those things that need to be dealt with and corrected. So prayer enables us to see our heart. And number three, prayer allows God to weave His grand design in our life. It's all about use me. It's about serving God. You see, it's not so much of what we ask of God, but it's what God does through us. So those are some things, some values of prayer that you and I can benefit from. But here is what I want to leave with you this morning. We simply must create in ourselves a wartime mentality. Because people are not knocking down your door and taking your children away in boxcars does not mean that we're not at war. Because something drastically has not happened to you personally does not mean that we're not at war. We have to create in ourselves a wartime mentality. Otherwise, the biblical teaching about the urgency of prayer and the vigilance of prayer, and the watching in prayer, and the perseverance in prayer, and the danger of abandoning prayer will make no sense and find no resonance in our heart. There will be nothing resonating in our heart when it comes to prayer. 
And I, I know that this is a challenge I understand. And I'm not faulting. I'm not, I'm not faulting any teaching, any direction, anything that we've experienced. But I'm speaking of, I guess, 40 years of experience. I'm thinking that probably a lot of folk have not prayed because they really don't understand what prayer is for. A lot of folk have not prayed because it's never been modeled. But I want to leave you this morning with this. When we partner with God through prayer, and I don't have the time to get into all the intricacies of, and, and it's, it's trivial. Do I pray standing up? Do I pray sitting down? Do I pray on my knees? Do I pray with one eye open? Do I pray with both eyes closed? Do I pray with one hand in the air or two hands in the air? Do I pray in English or do I pray in tongues? We get caught up and trapped by all of those do I do eyes. But I think really God just saying, hey kids, talk to me. Talk to me. Just get alone and talk to me. Tell me what's on your heart. See, we make it, I have to clarify, personal opinion. We make it so difficult, and we have merchandised it so much that I think we've gotten away from the simplicity of prayer is talking to our Father. And if we can just do that, I believe that we can see and we can experience a difference in our life. So, what are your takeaways this morning? Listen up. Life is war. Listen up. You must know your enemy, and you must know your weapon. Listen up. Until we believe that life is war, we cannot know what prayer is for. Would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to pray. So, Father, as we come before you today on this Memorial Day weekend, many of our hearts and our minds are consumed with family members and friends who have sacrificially given their life to protect our country. And we thank you for that. We are reminded of family and friends who have come back from wartime, wounded, broken, hurt, disillusioned, angry. And we understand that. And Father, we recognize that as devastating as the physical injuries may be. Father, we realize today that we are praying for no one to lose their soul. And it sounds challenging when we say, and we're not saying that it's okay and we're, we're agreeing with lost lives are fine. That isn't it, Father. You know our hearts. But what we're saying is, you can lose a life, but you never want to lose your soul. 
And so I pray that your Holy Spirit has taken the words that has been shared today, words that I believe you've given to me, and I pray that the Holy Spirit has, as with arrows, has just penetrated our heart and our mind and our thinking, that we will leave this building today with a fresh awareness that we're in a battle. And we understand that at some point, Father, somewhere down the road in the future, we know that everything is going to turn out all right and we will be victorious. But Father, right now, even within our own church family, we have people who are fighting for their life. They're fighting for their life. Fighting this horrific, terrible disease of cancer. And their spouse and their children and their families and their friends are praying and praying and praying and fighting. So, Father, we want to do two things today. We want to thank you and give respect and commemoration to those who have given their life for our country. But, Father, put in us a fight. Put in us a fight today that we understand that life is war. And now we understand what prayer is for. Father, be with us throughout this day. May your hand of protection rest upon us. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great day.